I fought building the brokerage because it really was just not a business model that I was very interested in. And again, doing the exact opposite of the entrepreneur type of thing. But as an entrepreneur, you listen to market feedback. So when, when you think an idea is great and then you put it out to the market and the market rejects it, no matter how good of an idea you think it is, it doesn't matter because it's a bad idea because the public doesn't want it. This was the exact opposite. I thought building a brokerage was a stupid idea. And the market just kept saying, this is a great idea. And at some point as an entrepreneur, again, you have to just kind of man up and say, I've got to listen to what's actually happening. I can't say I don't like building a brokerage because I'm not interested in it. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, it is a new year. It's 2018. It's going to be huge, and I'm all glad you've tuned in to hopefully change your life. And my incredible guests will hopefully inspire you to get off the fence and take massive amounts of action. This show is for anyone who wants to invest here in the United States, not just international investors, but anyone who wants to make it big here in the US. As you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. If you do like this show, please give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can also find these podcasts wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to my website, which is reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it'll take you straight to the recordings of these podcasts each and every week. You can see my ugly mug, but you can also see the beautiful faces of my guests. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking into today's show. the show the pleasure of speaking with Tom Caffarella. Like Tom, oh sorry, like, like a lot of our listeners on this show, Tom once was a nine to fiver, trading his time for money. But Tom decided to take action and take control of his life. And since leaving his day job, Tom has co-founded Ocean City Development, a real estate investment company based in Boston, Massachusetts. His, uh, his team has acquired over 500 properties in the past five years. And Tom is also the co-owner of Cameron Real Estate Group, a real estate brokerage with over 200 agents that focuses on finding Tom and his deals cracking investment opportunities. I'm very excited to have him on the show, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Tom. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing awesome. Thank you very much for having me on. Mate, my pleasure. I'm glad that you have come on. I'm sure you're going to give us some incredible advice about taking action and leaving your day job. But before we dive into that, let's rewind the clock. Take me all the way back to when you first made your first ever dollar as a kid. Mm, my first ever dollar as a kid. So I, I worked at a bike repair shop uh, mm -hmm. called Central Cycle in the town that I grew up in, in Revere, Massachusetts. And so I was probably one of the worst employees they ever had. <laughs> and they, <laughs> it's funny because I was, I was a good kid when I was growing up. I did well in school, never tried to get anyone any problems. They used to think that I was messing with them, how much I used to screw up on a day-to-day -day basis at the job. So it was definitely not for me kind of working with my hands, doing anything related with that. But yeah, we used to basically take the bikes. Um, they used to get shipped to the store and then we used to have to assemble them. And 
that was probably one of the most challenging things I've I've ever done personally, which is pretty sad. How old were you at the time? I was 13. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to I wanted to get a job when I was 10. I mean, I, I always wanted to work. And the second that I was uh, legally able to, which is 13 in Massachusetts, I just went out and got a job. That's awesome. It, it shows a lot of, I ask that question to a lot of my guests on this show and it shows the people who, and mo- nearly pretty much 99% of them all have jobs at a young age, 13, 14, they're out there hustling, making their making their way in the world. But tell me, um, now, now now let's bring the clock forward a little bit. So walk me through your career. You said you were in a nine to five, but you got out of yep. that. So did you go to university? What did you study? And, and, and you know, how did you get the realization to want to leave your day job? So uh, growing up, um, the only person I knew who was ever successful was my grandfather. And he owned a bunch of real estate. And so um, nobody encouraged me to get into real estate. In fact, a lot of people discouraged me from getting into real estate, which is why I ended up getting into a nine to five job. Um, but he was the only person that I knew that had full control over his time and had a lot of money. Um, so I wanted to do that at a young age, but then I got discouraged to doing it. Everybody says you've got to go to college. So I went to college. Um, I double majored in biochem because I was actually thinking about doing pre-med. I, well, I did pre-med. I was thinking about going to medical school. But then as I was working as a pizza delivery boy, you know, I was probably 19 in college at the time, I listened to a book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert <laughs> Kiyosaki. <clears throat> I think, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think everybody's read it. And after you read that book, and I grew up in an area where, you know, everybody's kind of a blue collar worker. And you know, it completely opened my eyes to, you know, a completely different world, a completely different way of thinking. And, um, you know, I read a lot of his books and unfortunately, you know, they kind of all say the same thing, but I love the first message, right? So you've got to be an entrepreneur, you've got to build your own business, everything like that. So at that point, 1920, I was was pre-med. I said, I've got to do something in business. So I ended up double majoring and got a, a business degree as well. And I wanted to go into real estate right out of college, but again, I I had no idea how to do it. I had no idea what the path was, had no clue. So I I had the major in business. This is right after um, Sarbanes-Oxley came out on the accounting side. And for your listeners who aren't familiar, there was the the Enron scandal um, and it just caused a lot of financial regulation, which led to accounting firms basically going on a hiring spree and making ridiculous offers to people who had no experience because they just they just needed bodies. So I ended up working at an accounting firm. First day I got there, I was a misfit. I knew I didn't belong there. Um, I'm just way too entrepreneurial. You know, looking back, I I understand that I was much too entrepreneurial at the time. I thought, you know, there's something wrong with me. I mean, I can't do this. And everybody, everybody that I would talk to at my job. I would kind of, you know, co-work as I say, oh, you know, this, this isn't fun, right? This, this is, this is terrible. And most of the responses I got were, no, this is the best job in the world. And that's, that's kind of when I knew like this, this didn't make any sense, you know, for me. And so I basically spent my first year and a half as an accountant, just like trying to force something that was never going to happen, spent all my time reading, you know, learning about real estate. And it just got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. I should have quit, but I ended up just getting fired because instead of doing my work and my job, I'm sitting there reading, how do you invest in real estate type stuff? 
So, so I got forced, I got forced to, you know, I got forced to make a decision at that point. And like, I was forced to make a decision when I got fired. Am I going to, you know, it was a breaking point for me. Am I going to pursue my dreams and really what I feel I was destined to do? Or am I going to conform to the rest of society? I think you bring up such great emotions within everyone who's probably listening to this show. Me personally, you know, I remember sitting at my day job and going, you know, as a structural engineer going, what the hell am I doing? Right. (laughs) I can't be sitting in a cubicle for the next 40 years of my life, you know? Um, But to get that courage, and I don't—I guess you didn't leave, so you were fired, but you were forced into it. Was there was there any sense of butterflies and oh gosh, here we go? Oh. you know, like you know, one of those roller coaster moments. You get to the top, and all of a sudden, you're about to drop, right? <laughs> well, it took courage. I mean, I got fired, right. but I could have gotten another job pretty quickly. So the courage was: Do I give this a shot? And again, looking back on it, I mean, I think this is the biggest thing you talked about: taking massive action. I think the perception in a lot of our heads is that we are taking this enormous risk. But really looking back on that time in my life, I mean, it wasn't a big risk. I mean, what did I have to lose at that point? I could always go back and get another job. I I at least owed it to myself to say, to try to do something that makes sense for me. And, you know, I'm 35 years old right now. I love what I do. Now that I'm doing something that I love what I'm doing, I'm going to be 80 and they're going to have to be wheeling me out of the office because, because I like what I do versus doing something that you hate doing every single day and looking at the clock. Oh, is it, Oh, it's 445. I've got 15 minutes left. Right. And that's just not, you know, the life that I think anybody really should live. Oh, I think it's really what you just said. You can always go back and get another day job, right? That's, that's the thing that people don't understand is that they, um, they, they build themselves all up. And obviously a lot of people have read the book, uh, The 4-Hour Workweek, you know, how it's walked you through the step-by-step guide of like, it's not that, so what? You go back and you get another one. You know, what about, who cares about your health insurance? You know, like there's, there's plenty of health insurance options out there. There's just like all these steps that you can do. And really at the end of the day, there's a great meme that I see, I've seen, and it's a horse tied to a plastic chair. And the, and the horse could just pull it, pull away and the plastic chair could go with it. But we've all got this mental sort of, What's our plastic chair in this moment? And a lot of people just get so sucked into the to the to the monthly paycheck or the you know the bi-monthly paycheck, and they think they're going to get all these benefits and blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, your time is so important to you. So I think you've realized that. But it's pretty incredible that you've you know able to just you know have that you know mindset to just go out and take action. So tell me a little bit about the business that you did create. So when you first, you got out, you're in the cold. You're thinking, oh gosh, here we go. <laughs> what is had you done a deal yet? Had you even, you know, looked it into, you know, buying deals or just getting started? Like, where were you in the process? At, so at that point in the process, I wanted to buy multifamily. Real, I wanted to buy multifamily real estate. The very second I ended reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, I said, I've got to invest in real estate. This makes sense. Um, I saw my grandfather do it. There's, there's nothing about it that I don't want to do. So while I was working the CPA job, I would always go out and I would always look at properties. Unfortunately, at the time, Boston real estate was so overvalued. So this is going back to 2005, 2006, when we were at the peak market cycle. So I would, you know, by going by the rich dad, poor dad, you've got to buy properties that make money on day one. Every property that I looked at on day one didn't make any money in Boston. So I never bought anything. And part of it was fear too. But part of it was just knowing the numbers and knowing they didn't work. 
<clears throat> so I was kind of unlucky when I first wanted to get into it, but then I got really, really lucky. So um, I got fired in December of 2007. As we know, the financial world collapsed pretty much right after that. So it couldn't, the, the, it couldn't have gone any better for me because the stuff that was selling for $300,000 in December of 2007 was selling for $150,000 in December of 2008. So I basically got into real estate investing probably at the best time you could get in, in the last 50 years. And so, you know, my, did my first deal and my, my first deal, by the way, wasn't even a buy and hold. It was a, it was a wholesale deal that I got under contract and <clears throat> I sold to another investor. So, um, but I, but like I said, I just got in right at the right time. I was ready. I will say that I was prepared because I had done all my research, all my homework. I understood every, not everything about real estate investing, but I understood a lot. And so basically the second that the market did collapse and the second that I got fired, I was ready to take action. And don't get me wrong, my first deal was very nerve wracking, but you know, as time goes on, you know, you get used to doing it. Yep. No, I think the small little uh, runs on the board were helping you get the confidence to go out and do more and more on deals. So now talk to me about how long, so what, what are you doing now with your business? And, and maybe we can talk a little bit from a restaurant point of view. You walk into a restaurant, there's a menu. What's the free stuff that you give out in your business? What's your sort of mission statement? What's your morals? And then what's the sort of the caviar and the lobster that your, your high-end clients will want to come in and, and into your restaurant and, and, and order from you? So the way that my business, you know, operates, I mean, at the end of the day, we're a lead generation business. And so as a real estate investor, what we're always looking for is people who want to sell their properties at a discount. And there's a certain percentage of people that do. Um, a lot of people who aren't in the real estate investing business don't understand that there are plenty of homeowners out there that actually need us. So what we focus on every single day is getting in front of as many homeowners as we possibly can. By getting in front of as many homeowners as we possibly can before their property hits the market, we're able to get to them before they make any selling decisions. And so you talked a little bit about the fact that I've got a 200 person real estate brokerage. When you talk about a restaurant, the menu that we've got and what we're really trying to serve, our mission statement is doing what makes the most sense for the seller. So when we go out, we meet with the seller face-to-face, -face. we spend about 45 minutes analyzing where they're at, where they're looking to go, and how we can help them be before making a recommendation. So just like um, you know, a, a server at a restaurant is gonna tell you, you know, what they think is the best thing, what, what, what special there is today that they would recommend, we can't do that unless, as a real estate investor, until we've analyzed their situation. So we're going to ask them 30, 45 minutes of questions before we can even say what makes sense. In 90% of the cases, what we're going to recommend on the menu is actually just to list their house the traditional way because that, that's what makes the most sense for that person. Um, if they're able to go through inspections, if they don't mind having an appraisal, if they want to wait for the buyer to get approval for financing and all that good stuff, then that's what we give them. That's what we serve them. If it makes sense to sell to an investor, and about 10% of the time it does, then we're going to recommend the investment route. And the investment route has pluses to it, and it has minuses to it, just like selling retail. Like when you're selling retail, the negatives are, yeah, that buyer 
might get an inspection report with stuff that isn't even bad and they might get scared and back out because they're a first time home buyer and anything could scare them or they could get denied for their loan a week before closing or um, your house could sit on the market for longer than you think. So there's pluses and minuses of, of that, you know, item on the menu. And then the other item on the menu is selling to an investor. And the benefits of that is there's no inspection, it's fast, or it could be slow. Some people want to sell in nine months and we can, we can buy it in nine months. Um, and the, the benefit of that to them is that it's going to be flexible. We're going to pay them cash and it's going to be simple. And a negative to that is that the offer is probably going to be a little bit less than what retail is going to be. So we really, as the, the servers are really, we, we, we don't just say, Hey, this is what, what's on the menu that we want to give you. We ask them questions, background stuff so that we can figure out what makes the most sense to recommend to them. Yep. No, it, make, it makes sense. Once you, once you've got somebody in the, in the, in the business or in the, in the restaurant, I should say to, to recommend the different options that they have. So it sounds like you, you guys have set up a little bit of a business ecosystem from, you know, you've got your, you've got your, your agents on one end, bringing in the leads. Yep. And then you have an options to, to explain that, you know, either you sell as a retail or you sell to, and I'm assuming you sell to you guys as the investors to then flip the houses. Is, is that correct? So again, to go off the restaurant analogy, we then determine once we get somebody that wants to sell and once we make the recommendation, we've got to figure out how we're going to cook it and how we're going to cook it is how we're going to make money. And so how we're going to make money depends on the deal. So for example, in Boston, if it's a three unit or more, I'm probably going to cook it so that I'm going to own it and rent it out and keep it as a multifamily in my portfolio. If it's a single family, if it's a condo, we're gonna then probably make a determination either to fix and flip it or to wholesale it to another investor. Because the market's so tight right now in Boston, like it is in LA where you're at, in most cases, we're probably gonna flip it because we've got the capital and we make more money doing it that way. But <clears throat> when the market starts to change and there's more inventory available and there's more deals than there is capital, at that point, we might wholesale a little bit more than we're doing today. But for, for a newbie investor, how we got started was wholesaling because we didn't have any cash when we first started. And, you know, we would lock up great deals and it would be like, oh my God, now we've got somebody who wants to sell under, re un under retail. What do we do with it? We, we can't close on it. So we would wholesale it to somebody else. So at the end of the day, you know, we, we get that, that fresh meat and we determine, okay, how do we, how do we want to cook it? You know, do we want to put it in a stew? Do we want to you know, uh, you know, grill it or doing one of whatever. So, um, but the key though is really to get it in front of as many sellers as we possibly can, because that's what gives us the opportunity to even get to the point where we can cook something. Right. It's, it's interesting that I, when I talk to people like yourself, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of real estate investors um, and entrepreneurs and business owners. And the number one thing, and that's a book I'm going to bloody write this year, is business ecosystems and what you've created by, okay, I'm a real estate investor first and foremost, but I need to get leads. So I need to create a real estate brokerage company to feed the beast. Right, and if you if you if you can't, and then one feeds the other, you still get you still get fees and profits from building out a brokerage company, but it helps you with with, with regards to creating a fantastic pipeline. So, do you want to talk a little bit about? Did you just stumble into that? Did someone come up to you and say, "Hey, Tom, you need to start a brokerage company because the fact is it's going to feed your other beast," or was it just more of a, "Oh, I just took the blinkers off and I realized that I needed to do this." You know, um, 
I've tried a lot of things. You talked about being an entrepreneur. I've tried a lot of different things. I like testing different things. I failed at so many things. The brokerage side went, was the exact opposite. The brokerage was something I never wanted to build. I had no interest in building a brokerage. Um, it just kept making money. So the way that you're describing it um, isn't exactly um, how it happened. So as an, as, right, so as an investor on day one, we were spending money um, to get face-to-face with sellers. We were doing cold calling. We were doing mailing. We were doing Google pay-per-click. We were doing Facebook. And so what ended up happening, we were generating all these face-to-face seller appointments. I was doing them all. And there was a point I had my daughter, um, who's going to be five in five days right now. And once I had her, I said, I can't be the one running around doing all these appointments. So I hired my first real estate agent just to take the appointments for me. And what ended up happening, because I wasn't offering two options on the menu at that point. I was only offering sell to an investor or goodbye, which really wasn't fair to the homeowner because there was a lot of them that didn't make sense to sell to an investor and we weren't helping them. So when this real estate agent came on, he started going out to some of these appointments and saying, Tom, why don't we list some of these? And I said, you want to list them? Fine, list them. Yet not even thinking that this could lead to a brokerage model, but that actually led to building the brokerage. So not only now do my real estate agents um, close those as investment deals and as listings, but my real estate agents also raise capital for me. My real estate agents also make make money for me by doing their own deals and then they also bring deals to me so i fought building the brokerage because it really was just not a business model that i was very interested in and again doing the exact opposite of the entrepreneur type thing but as an entrepreneur you listen to market feedback so when when you think an idea is great and then you put it out to the market and the market rejects it no matter how good of an idea you think it is, it doesn't matter because it's a bad idea because the public doesn't want it. This was the exact opposite. I thought building a brokerage was a stupid idea and the market just kept saying, this is a great idea. And at some point as an entrepreneur, again, you have to just kind of man up and say, I've got to listen to what's actually happening. I can't say I don't like building a brokerage because I'm not interested in it. If I'm making money and it makes sense as a business model, I've got to do it. And then once I decided that I was going to build out a brokerage, my investing business took off because it all, like you were talking about the ecosystem, everything feeds into one another. So I do a lot more deals now than I've ever done because of the brokerage. And I think for anyone who's listening out there, take note. Tom took a little while to get there. It's, it's interesting that you, did, you, you didn't want to do it. And, and we ha- again, we have these blinkers on, but if you start taking the whole point of listening to real estate podcasts, this podcast, listening to Tom's story, is the fact that you know, in hindsight, he stumbled across something pretty incredible that has fed one thing from another and he was able to make profit on it. And you know, it's, it's again, a business ecosystem, which is fantastic. So Tom, tell me if, you know, from an education point of view, whether it be from educating your agents, whether educating your, your, your sellers and your buyers, do you have any free informational stuff, you know, um, videos that people, white paper that people can download to get you in the funnel? And I know, you, I know we've got on, on your list of questions, you know, generating Facebook leads and advertising. So do you hook people with any free stuff to, to, to educate them about the process in which what you do? We have so much free information. It's crazy. I mean, today 
you know, you talked about kind of what's the, what did you say on the menu, the, the free stuff to get people in. I mean, you have to today, if, if you, if you want to help people, if you want to build a business, you've pretty much got to give away all your best stuff for free. Um, the, the internet is so widespread now. People are on multiple devices. You can go on YouTube, you can go on Facebook. So we just give it all away. Everything we, we give away, whether we want to or not, it doesn't matter. You just have to nowadays. So, um, it's not an option. I mean, if you're not giving this stuff away for free, the next person is. So the best way, um, to get on my list and get all of the free information that I do give, which is basically training every single day. So we have free training every single day that we give to people to become real estate investors. But the, the first way to get on that is to go to um, www.buildateamthatbringsyoudeals.com. And that's again, www.buildateamthatbringsyoudeals.com. And that'll take you to a landing page where you can put in your email. And then that's gonna set off a video um, that you can watch or you don't have to watch it. But if you do watch it, it's going to be a video that goes into a lot more detail about my whole business model. If you don't want to watch it, that's fine too. If you put in your email and then you'll just get on my email list where I send you all of the free information. And I also will send you a link to the free training that we do every single day. Great. Fantastic. So Tom, what are you focusing on now? Like you talked about your, your, your wanting to buy small multifamily. Is it ma mainly fix and flipping and small multifamily under four units, or are you getting more in the commercial side as well? So I've never really done much commercial commercial. I mean, we own buildings that are 15 and 20 units, which I don't really consider that commercial, even though, you know, by uh, lending, lending definition it is, they, they're, they're just buildings that have tenants in them. So I've never done anything on the commercial side. Um, I really like residential. I like residential for a lot of reasons. Um, commercial, when I think of commercial, at least we're talking, when I think of commercial, I think of like businesses and I don't like that because if the economy kind of gets hurt a little bit, then, you know, businesses go out of business and, you know, my tenants might not be there. I like residential, residential where people have to live somewhere. Um, so I like going into areas and just buying residential. So anything 20 units and under, we are doing a a project where we're going to do about 50 units that are all going to be rentals too. That's probably going to be about two years out, but I'm really focused. I'm always focused on where the market's at right now. So right now, even though I actually would love to buy a lot more rental properties because the market is overvalued as of this very second, I'm doing a lot more wholesaling and fix and flips because that's where the most money's going to be made. Now we don't know when the market's going to turn, but we're stockpiling cash right now to be ready for when it does turn. And that's when we're going to go all in on the multifamily scene. Mm -hmm. And now with the multi the 50 units that you just spoke about, is that ground up construction or existing? This is a, a warehouse building that um, it's just open space. Um, it's kind of been abandoned. It's kind of like Boston is really, really hot. It's kind of on the borderline. It's about an hour from Boston, which is not really considered commutable. Mm -hmm. Uh, to Boston. So it's kind of being a little bit more of a depressed area. So we're just going to be taking, you know, basically a shell of a building and Doing then we have to go 
yeah, building it out. We, we've go, we're going for the approvals right now. We're trying to get sixty units, but we'll probably end up getting forty to fifty. Mm-hmm. No, I love, I love that. I'm uh, my background's in stru- ground up construction. I'm, I'm sure I can get you back on the show to talk about <laughs> ground up construction all day long because that's something that a lot of people oh, yeah. don't talk about. But it's uh, it's where the big boys play, right? It's, you know, you don't see the big developers of the United States on a podcast. They're they're out there just crushing deals. So it's um, it's a you know, we've done ground up and we've done like you know, ground up like six to 10 units. And there's so many additional skills that are yes. necessary. It's um, a different game. That it's a di- like it's another level. It's, it's a totally, it's a, literally, it's like a different yeah, business. Exactly. So, you know, you've got to have, you know, totally different structures and stuff like that. So we've, we've done some of that, but our, our bread and butter is definitely taking existing um, construction. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons for that in Boston, and I'm probably would guess LA's like that too, is, there's not that much more land yeah, left. 100%. So even doing ground up here isn't really, a lot of people just aren't doing it because you can't do it because there's not a lot of land. So where we our bread and butter is definitely existing, um, existing structures that we can, you know, take to a different level. Yeah, no, the, the big thing here in LA, like Boston, is looking for highest and best use. Rip it down, put put up, you know, a, a ten st- ten unit if it's on a, if it's a triplex on a, on a larger lot. You know, just really trying to maximize the, the zoning. But so, Tom, I don't want to get too much into that. I could get you back on the show to talk to you a yeah. little bit more about ground up construction. But do you want to talk a little bit more about how you're generating all the leads through your Facebook advertising, through SEO, through billboards, and the traditional ways to which you're you're generating the leads? And and I'm assuming. You're just focused in the Boston area, is that correct? So I actually work with investors in other parts of the country. And the same methods that I use in Boston, we use for them in other locations. But it's the same methods no matter where you go. Um, there's, There's a lot of different lead generation strategies. But to me, there's only a few that really work. And the ones that still work are Facebook ads, cold calling, Google pay per click, and mailers. Anything outside of that, I mean, we have billboards up in Boston. They're, they're not a good lead generation source. They're a branding source. You know, same thing with TV and radio and all that kind of big box um, media. It's not a really great lead gen source. So those are the four that are tried and true that you can really say, how much am I going to pay cost per lead? Like you run Facebook ads, you just know, you know, within a week, this is going to be my cost per lead and I'm going to pay somewhere around that forever. Same thing with cold calling. We, we just know how many hours and then what the rate is going to be. So we know how much it's going to cost per lead. Mailers are a little bit more variable. Um, mailers are really great, but the cost per lead tends to vary just a little bit. And a lot of people are doing it in this market, so it's super competitive. And then Google pay-per-click is just a bidding system. So you run the ad, and depending upon how much competition there is, people are either going to bid more for a lead or bid less for a lead. And in markets like yours and mine, and I think a, a Google pay-per-click lead in your market right now is about $600, um, you know, which is super expensive. Uh, ours is a little bit less, but at the end of the day, Boston and LA, there's a lot of money to be made if you get a good deal. So it's all, rel- it's all relative. If we were working with somebody in uh, West Virginia, we were getting $40 leads, but they want, their goal on a fix and flip is to make $25,000. If you don't make twenty five thousand in LA, I mean, you failed. If you if you make twenty five thousand on flipping LA, you have failed. You made a lot of mistakes. You overpaid. You probably over renovated. All that stuff. So, hey man, we've all been there. <laughs> oh, I've, I mean, I've I've lost money on on a lot of different deals. I mean, I think that's the the biggest risk for for newer people, which is why a lot of newer people it 
it may make sense for a lot of them just to wholesale out of the game. 100%. So, mate, what have you got planned for 2018? It's going to be a huge year, both professionally and personally. Yeah, so 2018, the brokerage is really where I'm pushing it because I, I really feel like the model that we have is going to be everywhere. So I've been working with other real estate investors across the country that are working on generating leads and then building out a brokerage behind it because it really feeds itself. So the way that the model works is that for every dollar I spend on motivated marketing um, to get in front of sellers, we should get more than a dollar back just on listings alone. So say that our marketing budget is 3000 a month, we'll probably get back 4000 a month just in listings. But what that allows us to do is basically have an unlimited marketing budget for our fix and flips, for our wholesales, for our buying holds. So I've been strategically looking and working with people and fly, having them fly out to my office to get kind of a behind the scenes look at what we do and showing them our model. And basically, especially for people that are already generating leads, this is a no brainer because if you're an investor spending money on marketing, most of your leads are going to end up being retail. So we show them the methods and the strategies on how to maximize your ROI on the listing side so that you have an unlimited marketing budget, right? Because if you spend 3,000, you get 4,000 back just on the listing side. There's no cap on what you're gonna wanna spend. So we've been working with people and, and we feel like we, we've really dominated the brokerage scene in the Boston market. I mean, I went from zero to 200 agents in two years and it's based on this model. So we're working on other investors across the country to get this model where they are. And I, I would say within one to two years, we'll have representatives in all 50 states. You know, <clears throat> that's still kind of something that we're thinking about. Doesn't even make sense to, to do it that way. I mean, my main thing is getting the model out there. And whether it's my brand or somebody else's brand, that's something that I'm not even 100% sure I even care about. So right now, the people that we're working with are not branded with my name, but you know, that's just going to be something that we figure out as time goes on. I'm, I'm worried, like not worried, I'm focused right now on building the systems for them to get them successful. And I always feel like, like I don't like to track how successful you are. I like to track how good the systems are. So I want to get the systems perfect for the people that I'm working with out of state. And then once we get the systems perfect, the money will come. And whether or not it's a Cameron sign or their sign, I mean, that's kind of just like whatever. I mean, we'll figure that right, part out. Right. No, that's, that's incredible. And what about personally? What have you got planned for 2018? Oh, man, I've got a... So again, my daughter's turning <clears throat> five in five days. Uh, I've got a one-year-old son and then a three-month-old oh, wow. son. So... Um, I'm, I'm planning on staying in the house every single day for the next 365 <laughs> days. I'll, I'm going to be, I'm going to be lucky to get out and do anything. Um, so and but, that's just the I weather, mean, right? <laughs> oh, the weather, the kids, um, you know, it, I, I love having uh -huh. kids. Um, it's the best thing in the world. Um, it just makes it a little bit harder to do a lot of different sure. things, but, but I would, um, you know, never, ever not want to have them. So but yeah, so for on a personal level, I think at the end of the day, we just got to kind of get through like, cause my daughter, now that she's five, she's mm -hmm. easy. So we kind of just got to get through the next couple of years and then we'll be able to do, you know, more nice, things. Nice, man. Well, mate, I always end the show with uh, you giving me a top five investing tips. You ready to dive into it? 
What is the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? The daily habit. So definitely doing the hardest thing in your day first, eat, eat that frog. That's that to me is the biggest thing because once you start doing, once you start doing the busy work, your day is shot. So you've got to do the hardest thing mm -hmm. first. Exactly. No, I 100% agree. Uh, who is the most influential person in your career to date? To date, it's got to be, it's got to be Robert Kiyosaki. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, is that I'm, I'm not even sure how big of a fan I am of him now. Um, in terms of just, he gave me the foundational mindset, Yep. nothing else. Like there was no, you know, like ever since I read those books, everything has changed mindset wise, but he's not somebody I would read mm -hmm. now. No. So, but, but he was the most influential. I completely agree. And you read that book, Richard Porter, it actually doesn't tell you how to do any of it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I would never like today, it, I would never read any of his stuff, but without that mindset mm -hmm. piece, you can't do any of it. So I've got to say him, even though I probably haven't read one of his books in six or seven yeah, no, years. I'm, I'm completely right there with you, mate. I haven't read any of his books since since, the, since I picked up Rich Dad Porter and thought, yeah, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Mate, what is the most influential tool in your business to date? Or not even to date, just what's the most influential tool? The most influential tool. Oh man, you know, I'd have to say the most influential tool is coaching. Okay to me. I'm in multiple coaching programs. And when I was early on in my career, I used to be really against it. I used to say, I, you know, I'll find the stuff on mm -hmm. the internet. But as I've gotten older, what I've realized is that it's really easy to find the wrong answer quickly. Yep. So if you want the wrong answer, you can go on Google and find it in five seconds. If you want the right answer, you've got to really get to the smart, smart people. And somebody who's super successful that's going to share with you what works is not going to be mm -hmm. free. So now I'm at a point where I'm just like, if I want the right answer, how much does it mm -hmm. cost me? So I think that's the most influential tool now. I always, if I'm trying to learn anything like, you know, Facebook ads or whatever, I'm finding the successful person. Do you have a coaching program? Yes. Okay. Sign me up because I need to learn how to do this. And I don't want to spend two years trying to learn how to do it. I want to spend two months learning how to do it. I completely agree. I think that's really, really important. What has been the biggest failure in your career and what have you learned from that failure? Oh man, oh, biggest failure. I mean, there's been so many. I don't know that there's been, there's been a biggest. I think probably if I had to say, it would be just trying to do too many mm -hmm. things. And, you know, as kind of a motivated entrepreneurial semi-young man, but I'm getting older, <laughs> You think, you think, especially at a younger age, that you can do everything and that time is unlimited. And I think the biggest mistake I made is thinking I can do everything myself. So you've really got to leverage yourself out and let, you've got to hire good people and you've got to trust them that they're going to do things and always be very cognizant of, of your time. What, just a quick segue off that question is, what's the biggest piece of advice you could give to someone out there thinking about getting involved in real estate? What's that first step to just be like, okay, I got it. You know, like this is what I'm going to do, like move forward. I think the biggest thing is you've got to ignore the people that you're surrounding yourself with, because in, in most cases, they're not going to encourage you, unfortunately. And in, in a lot of cases, the people that really care about you, that want you to succeed, may discourage you from following your passions because they don't understand what's required and they don't understand um, that you can be successful sure. doing it. So you've, I think you've got to get around people that have done it 
and you've got to get around people that are going to support that. And I mean, what would you say? I mean, what percentage of the, the world is entrepreneurial? Jeez, oh, what? I, I don't even know. Less than five? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's low. I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that either. But, but we both know that if we walk into a room with 30 people, we're lucky to find one person that we can have an entrepreneurial conversation mm-hmm. with. So let's say it's five, right? You walk into a, you talk, say that you have 20 friends. Only one of them is going to say, yeah, you should go mm-hmm. for it. So then you're going to have 19 other people telling you, you should not do this. You've got to stick. You've got a great career. What are you doing? So you've really got to separate yourself and understand that you, if you understand the statistics that 95% of the world is going to tell you this is the worst idea. I think you just got to get, get past that point and surround yourself with more of the people that are in the 5%. And if you can surround yourself with people who have done it, I think that might've been another big mistake in the beginning for me is that I was, I kind of like, I did it all on my own without anybody kind of ahead of me kind of giving me advice and saying, look, this is normal. This isn't normal. You should do this. You should do that just basic encouragement and stuff no, like that. I think that. that's it's really good stuff. And you know, to that, and I'm sure you're over the last, you know, however many, seven years that you've been doing this, like myself, like you start to surround, that 5% turns into 50%, turns into 70%. Oh. You know, like when I now think of like, how many entrepreneurial people in the world? I'm like, well, in my sphere, there's like a hundred, but you know, but like in the, in the greater world, it's a lot less. And I know what you were trying to mean. It's, it's a weird thing because once you start to surround yourself with those people, that the 5%, you kind of don't even want to talk to the other 95%. It's, it's, it's a, it's a very weird thing because it's, it's literally like it's, it's two totally different core mm-hmm. values and it's difficult for me. It, it really is a struggle, you know, talking to people that I grew up with and, you know, I, I have a hard time even talking about my business because I feel bad. Like I feel bad that I'm successful right. in a way. And, it, it, and they don't want to hear about what I'm doing. And I'm not, I'm not bragging. I just love this stuff. So it's hard for me to not it's, talk. You know, about I'm it. completely the same way. My wife is always telling me, you know, kicking me in the shins when I'm like talking about my, my business at, the, at a dinner table or something. It's like, you got to just take it back a little bit because not everyone wants to hear about it. And that's fine. And I got to, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur, you also got to know when to turn it off the, the spigot. Right. So it's a, uh, but it's not, that's no, not easy not though. Easy. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're a real entrepreneur, that spigot, like you have to, it's almost like a discipline. Right. You just have to be like, okay, I'm not going to talk about it. But in the back of your head, you're yeah. like, I want to <laughs> no, talk no, about totally. it. Totally. But it's, it's a train. <laughs> Trust me. It's a train thing. I've spent many years training myself. But at the beginning, it's like, <laughs> like a, like a, not even a speaker, a fire hose. Like who wants to learn? You know, who wants to talk to me about my business? No one read. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's just, it's it a funny it? thing. Mate, look, I want to thank you for jumping on this show to, to to share the absolute incredible knowledge that you have with us in my my loyal listeners. But where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to find out a little bit more about what you do. They want to see those free videos that you mentioned a little bit earlier. Yeah, I think the best like the best stop is the is the www.buildateamthatbringsyoudeals.com. And because you're going to get on my email list, so then you're automatically going to have my email. You're going to get an email that gets sent off to you with all the free training that we have. And then from there, I mean, once you have my email, I love real estate investing. I'm a workaholic. So if you shoot me an email, you're going to get right Fantastic. to me. Well, mate, I just want to quickly summarize some of the things that I took away from today's conversation. I think the biggest one is um, developing your systems. And I know we didn't get into much of it, but like you've founded your business and your, your, your mission statement from what I've heard from you is to focus on developing great business, uh, great systems for other people 
and that in return will reap you a lot of rewards, um, both financially, but also in your professional career. I think um, continuing learning, you know, you're talking about like, if you don't know something, going out and finding a coach to teach you and how much is going to cost you. And the yeah. fact that, yeah, it's easy to find the wrong answer. Finding the right answer is going to cost you money. And the last one I think is that the, the fact you stumbled into a bit of a business business ecosystems with your, with your brokerage firm. I think that's pretty funny. But again, for all those people listening, yeah. it's like open, take the blinkers off and think what else can help you, you know, help your current business right now with to be flipping houses, buying multifamily real estate, doing whatever, mobile home parks. What other businesses can can complement that and, and also produce money? Did I leave anything out? I mean, you know, I, I think those are the high level things. I, I think at the end of the day, you just always have to look, you want to go, you don't want to go with the tide instead of against it. So the market is always going to give you the feedback. Right. So the market's always going to tell you whether or not your good idea is actually a good idea. <clears throat> and the only last thing I want to say is that hard work overcomes a lot. So, you know, if you're when you're talking about growing a business, when you're talking about being a successful entrepreneur, it, it's the, the book, The Four Hour Work Week. I absolutely love it. But one thing I don't like about it is that it kind of almost preaches that you can set up a business to operate four hours a week, which you can do. You can definitely do that. But at the end of the day, I believe you've got to put in the hours. So I, I think that you've got to grind every single day. I'm kind of like, you know, the Gary V type um, mentality that you've just got to dedicate yourself to this. And I think if you listen to the market feedback and you really work your butt off, there's not too many other people that are doing that. You're going to be successful at the end of the I day. I completely 100% agree. And you're right. You, you bring some great points that people read those types of books and then they're just like, oh, I'm going to be able to do it in four hours and go sit on the beach. Eh, it's a little bit different than that. <laughs> and that, that really wasn't his, that really wasn't no. his point. I mean, he, everything that he said was like spot on. I really love that book. I, I just fear in some cases that the takeaway could yes. be, this is a get, this is kind of a get rich right. quick scheme. And that's always the thing that makes me a little bit nervous when people no, 100%. Like and in, in, in the, again, going to that, the Gary V versus the Tim Ferriss of the world, you know, they both work extremely hard, but the, you know, the takeaways from either one of those, you know, the content that they're produced is, yeah, people could, you know, misunderstand it and take it for like, oh yeah, I'm just going to set it up and put it on autopilot. It's like, eh, it doesn't really work like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, mate, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we will catch up soon. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice, some takeaway actions, steps. And if you ever want to check out what Tom does, please check out my website, readgoosters.com. All the links will be up there and head over to Tom's website and check out all these free videos. Thank you again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. So until next week, take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. 